0: Hey guys, this is the Vertical Guidance Podcast. I'm Y. And I'm Alex Stanger. And we're interviewing pilots from around the industry about their flight training experiences. And our goal is to make getting into the aviation industry easier by offering advice to people that are right on the edge of beginning their aviation journey.
1: So let's get into it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Today so yeah, on the podcast, we have Jake McLaughlin. Welcome on, Jake. Oh, thank you. So uh, tell me some of the credentials that you, like who you fly for, what kind of ratings, all that fun stuff? Yeah.
2: Um, <clears throat> so currently flying for FedEx. Um, before that was Air Wisconsin and Endeavor. Uh, there I flew the CRJ. So that's a CL65 type rating and at FedEx. I have fly uh, the 75 and the 76. It's, uh, it's a common type. So you, if you get one, you get the other. But uh, um, in Hong Kong, we fly both. So
1: Decent. So you said you fly at FedEx. What was kind of your uh, pathway to FedEx?
2: Yeah, so started at uh, UND at uh, 18. Hadn't flown before then. Um, uh, you know, did, just did the standard stuff. You guys are doing flight instructed till I got a thousand hours. Uh, then I got hired at Air Wisconsin. Um, was there for about a year and a half. Got about 900 time in the right seat. Hours in the right seat at that place. Uh, And then when I started Endeavor, I got hired there at a a fortunate time. I upgraded uh, an initial ground school there. Um, And then they let me build my remaining 100 hours before I went to to upgrade ground school. But um, so I was there for three years and I was a captain for just about the whole time. Um, Built about 700 PIC in those three years, which isn't a lot being a junior captain on reserve for three years, you know, it's kind of hit or miss with how often you fly. But that was it really for uh, the school routes. Um, I did go back to UND and start working on a master's too to, to help with the application for FedEx. Um, I worked the ramp previously in college for a couple of years, which also helps uh, you know, just on the application, getting, getting the points to get your app pulled for an interview. Um, and then a little volunteer work with the union. So just to uh, kind of add on a bunch of little things to, to make it work out.
1: Yeah, you said you went from uh, Air Wisconsin to Endeavor. What made you switch regionals?
2: Yeah, um, well, I was living in Virginia Beach at the time, uh, which is not a cheap place to live. And Air Wisconsin, while being the highest paid regional at the time, was still, I think I made $25,000 my first year. So it was not <laughs> before all the pay was good. Um, Endeavor had just came out with their bonuses. I don't remember exactly what it was. It was like an extra twenty-five or thirty grand a year split into quarterly payments. Um, so obviously a significant increase in, uh, in pay, uh, from where I was at. So, um, I went there with the hopes of being Minneapolis based, you know, and just commuting from Grand Forks that never happened. Um, but the pay was definitely, uh, a motivator, you know, loans are coming due and all that fun stuff after college. So, uh, making some money was, was definitely high on the priority list. Sorry,
0: how much were you making at, uh, at your first regional?
2: Uh, Air Wisconsin back then, so what, six years ago now. I mean, I don't quote me on it, but I think the hourly is the first year I was like twenty seven dollars an hour, uh, which like a lot. But you know, when you do the seventy hours, seventy five hours a month, it's uh, it doesn't add up to a lot. <laughs> yeah, it seems it's like changed. It, it's changed. Right? It's changed. That that was the last year of all that, and that was kind of when the regionals got started to get good. Uh, So with better upgrades and better pay and all that. And Endeavor, as I'm sure you guys know, eventually rolled those bonuses into hourly rates. I'm pretty sure they're still the highest paid. But um, definitely a significant change uh, very quickly for me too, which was was nice. You know, you fly with those captains, you talk about making that and being a junior FO for seven years. It's 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 crazy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So you built your hours up at uh, Endeavor. And then you started sending your application around. So did you put all your eggs in one basket at FedEx or did you kind of look around? Um, so, you know, I think you didn't get to be as picky back in the day. Um,
2: you know, be it an endeavor after you're captain for 18 months, you get a guaranteed Delta interview. Um, I didn't take mine because uh, I wanted to stay and build PIC for FedEx. Uh, I knew since I worked the ramp, I started there when I was 20, that that's, that's where I wanted to end up. And I was willing to, to be picky, you know, I was, I got hired at 29, um, which for FedEx was young. So I had a couple of years to play with, to stick it out in Endeavor, which, you know, it's kind of risky sticking out in a regional, but if I were to have gone to Delta, if I got hired, it would have not, I wouldn't not have been building PIC time, which is what I needed for FedEx. So it's, uh, I just decided to,
1: to stick it out at Endeavor for an extra year and a half, but uh, it paid off. So. So, with, uh, with FedEx, um, they don't really have, like, the most pilots in the larger airline. Are they more picky with um, pilots? How do you, like, get your resume built up so you can uh, be more favored by them, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not familiar with the numbers. I know Delta's is, like, over 14,000 pilots.
1: The United and American are pretty
2: close to that. Um, we're around 5,400 Uh, so we're definitely a smaller pilot group. Um, but we are, we do have a advanced aged seniority list. Um, so that is helping with, I mean, I think we've hired almost a thousand people in the last 12 to 16 months, uh, which is significant. I've been here a year and a half and I already have 20% of the company junior to me, uh, which at a small company like this is, is huge. Um, but uh, I forgot the rest of your question.
1: <laughs> it was like, uh, how did you make yourself like diverse so FedEx would pick you? Because I feel like FedEx is like mm-hmm. a lot of people's like end goal because of the pay and of the uh, – um, mainly the pay that pays so well there. Yeah, pay and quality
2: of life is pretty good. Um, yeah, so um, like I said, I went back and got my master's degree. Um, I actually didn't finish because I got hired at FedEx in my last semester. So. Um, Kind of met that goal, cool. but uh, <laughs> uh, that that was definitely you know something to talk about. And they like to see the higher education, um, so that helped. Like I said, working the ramp previously helped significantly. Um, previous employment they really like to see. Uh, I did volunteer work with the union, the Outbase Club at UND. I didn't. I was kind of weak on the volunteer resume. I didn't have a lot. Um, especially post college. Uh, so, just working within the union, because FedEx is Alpha, Endeavor was Alpha, Wisconsin was Alpha. So, it was easy to kind of stay in the Alpha umbrella and just, you know, they have so much, so many volunteer opportunities. Um, but I did that. And outside of that, you know, just I never failed the check ride. So, that helps. Um, you know, just, just keeping a good training record, a little volunteer work. Higher education never hurt anyone. You know, what Owen's doing right now is it's, it doesn't hurt. So
0: you never failed a single check ride, like throughout your entire UND career? Um, 102 and... on, on my flight. one hundred and two. <laughs> I, I should have specified
2: 121 check ride. Um, oh, okay. So, you know, places like Air Wisconsin, where like Barrett and Owen are now um, initial training is not AQP. Uh, so it's, it goes on your record. If you have a training failure, um, on your initial type read um,
0: what does the, uh,
2: AqP mean uh, advanced qualification uh, I should know that P I, I forget what the P stands for but basically it's the, the training programs that airlines work out with the FAA so if FedEx we're on an 18 month training cycle so every nine months uh, I'm back in Memphis for for sims like the first nine months all the, it's the MV the maneuver stuff the safety engine versus all that stuff and then the 18 month mark is, um, one day at ground school on an LOE, so the line-based, uh, you know, stuff, um, but that replaces the, like, the once-a-year check ride that, you know, if you screw one thing up, you fail the whole thing, so, um, it's supposed to be better for proficiency, and, you know, you're not worried about failing and whatnot, although you still can fail the, the LOE, so, and people do, um, I had, you know, a buddy who failed his initial type ride right at Air Wisconsin, and, well, it's not the end of the world. It's just something you have to explain on all your interviews after that.
0: So I've heard that failing a 121 checkride is like kind of a pretty big deal. Like, is that is that true? Or like, can you kind of, can you recover from that?
2: Yeah, well, not, I haven't ever been in a hiring department or a training department. Um, I can tell you it's not ideal because um, it is something that will be talked about in an interview um, at a, with a major. So it's better to fail at a, at a, you know, once you make it to the majors than at a regional Um, but like, it's just something to be talked about. And, you know, when you, I think if you look at it as a whole picture, it could be just something that's added to stack against you, you know, in an interview, that's something you can easily avoid by preparing and, you know, whatnot. People make mistakes. It's, uh, and with the AQP, it's trained to proficiency on most of the stuff. So if you screw something up, you get another opportunity to, to do it again, um, I had a sim partner once who just went right off the right side of the runway with his V one cut. You know, it's you just drag back to to the you know runway again, give it another shot. So it's uh, Jeff would definitely be something to talk someone to talk to about AQP It's specifically with FedEx stuff. because so just not being in the training department, you really I really don't know what they do. Uh, but it's different, better than what it used to be before AQP days.
0: All right, so other than the pay and quality of life as well as having a pretty good mentor and uh, Jeff, well, like what else, what made you want to go to FedEx over, I mean, like turning down a Delta interview is kind of a bold call in my opinion, at least I feel yeah. like other people might agree with me.
2: <laughs> yeah. I've always said people who like flying passengers around, you know, either haven't done it before. They're just, they're just a little odd, but um, it's, uh, you know, I, I, working the ramp and it kind of opened my eyes to the whole FedEx side of things. because so before then I didn't, or the cargo side of things, I should say. Um, I didn't know much about it, uh, but having just been around it more and kind of seeing what these guys do or how little they did, um, you know, it was pretty cool. Um, so I did some research. Uh, I was around the same time. I actually met Jay or uh, Jeff at a, you know, an alumni event and uh, you know, just being around, you just, you just, I mean, FedEx is the way to go. And then being at Endeavor and Air Wisconsin, everything from commuting. Um, you At some point, if you're a commuter, you're always going to have issues, whether it be with a gate agent or tight flights and dealing with passengers. You know, it's, it's not for everyone. It wasn't for me. I, so I uh, was very happy with my decision to to hold out at Endeavor longer to hopefully get that FedEx job.
0: Would you recommend that to other people? like? like say they were dead set on FedEx or UPS, do you say to stay at a regional longer to get your hours or would maybe FedEx rather see you go to a legacy and then, you know, get some time in like a bigger jet and then yeah. go there. I don't know. Well, what do I'd never recommend you go to UPS one, but um, <laughs> I would, uh,
2: I, I, I don't, I don't, man, mean, I don't know. Um, things have changed so much, you know, all these flows now, You know, Endeavor just announced their flow um, with Delta. I know our hiring requirements haven't changed, which is 1500 total turbine PIC of which, no 1500 total turbine and something multi-turbine and something over 12.5 of which minimum 500 is PIC. And I'm pretty sure that 500 PIC is only covered under a manager's endorsement or a legacy endorsement. And if you don't have either of those, it's a thousand PIC is what they want to want to see. Um, but I think that's going to change. Um, hiring's picking back up with the majors again so you know we obviously got a big influx in Africans the last two years. Um, but I think with hiring picking up, um, you know before Delta was stealing a lot of pilots from the right seat even um, you know they don't have this PIC requirement that we have. So people who might want to do FedEx but weren't as willing to forego a major job like I was. Might just say, "Well, screw it! You know, I'm going to go to United. They're going to hire me sooner, so why not?"
1: So you recently went through the training at FedEx a couple of years ago. What was that like compared to regional training? Um, yeah, I've been here 18 months now. It was a lot more
2: gentlemanly than uh than the regionals. Um, things just uh, I don't want to say they're easier, but uh, you know, the regionals are you have a you know, Air Wisconsin Endeavor was a month of, of ground school when I got hired. I know now they're doing like the first week or two weeks on LMS based training. Uh, I didn't have any of that when I got hired. So I, I can't really speak to what they're doing now. Um, but it was different, but it was good, different. And, um, definitely a lot more Sims though, than the regionals, they really hammer down all the, you know, I had I think 28 sims in my initial training um part of that was because i was flying two airplanes but um, i think only three of those were because of that so it's it, i mean it's a hefty training program but i
1: don't want to say they hold
2: your hand but it's not it's not that difficult you know so it's definitely you learn in very small increments so
1: so yeah they're definitely trying to just get you through training and get you on the line right away yeah and i don't want to
2: say that in a bad way it's, it's not they're letting people slide through. It's just the way they build it is, I mean, you just, it's such a long training footprint that if you're not getting something, you're going to, I mean, you're there a while. You're going to pick it up eventually. So, um, but at this level too, no one's coming in, not having flown a jet before we're at the regionals, you know, I would estimate, you know, 80% of the guys coming through haven't flown a multi-jet before. So
1: it's- do you think it was easier going from uh UND aircraft to the regionals or from the regionals to a 750 76E7? I don't know. You know, that CRJ course at UND was actually helpful.
2: Um and going to I know why it's, it was actually <laughs> helpful um with the CRJ stuff at uh, Air Wisconsin having seen all just things like the FMS and stuff not even the flying that type of stuff uh, it was beneficial the flying side of it I guess it was different you know going from a CRJ to in the 7.5 and 7.6 I mean honestly could not fly more differently it's uh the 7.5 is very heavy like the CRJ on the controls and the 7.6 is like flying a toy it's just so light Um so that was different especially going in between the two all the time and you know, I think I'm sure I talked to you guys before seven fives and seven are so different that, you know, Hong Kong is the only base that flies both because so we put the seven, eight cockpit in the seven, six, and then the seven, five has its own glass setup. Um, and then even all the systems are, are different, you know, hydraulics are different. Yeah. I would say it was difficult either way. I said each step had its own challenges is how I would put that.
0: If the seven, five and seven, six are so different, why do you think that, uh, the FAA allowed them to be on the same type certificate.
2: Well, you know when the seven sixes are built, they were built with the legacy cockpit. Um, so the seven five and the seven six actually used to have the same cockpit. Um, you know, different engines; they feel different. I don't know. I kind of. I was kind of shocked when I got in them. Um, I, this is more. You know, Jeff too could tell you when at some point the FAA came in and they saw how different the two planes were, so they um, slapped currency requirements, not landing currency, but so I needed segment currency in both planes. Um, they're actually in the process of pulling all the five, sevens out of Asia for us though. So I won't, uh, I probably won't ever fly a five, seven, again, luckily. So the FedEx, the worst part about the five, seven is they don't have an oven. So your catering is always the cold meals,
0: so. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So you mentioned, uh, Hong Kong a couple of times that's where you're primarily based right or are you based in memphis no
2: i'm a hong kong-based pilot temporarily a san francisco-based pilot while we're working with covid but um all my flying is still in asia so you know i've i haven't flown in the u.s since i got hired here you know i did my 25 hours of oe in the u.s on the 75 um but i haven't flown in the u.s since then so um yeah all my trips now are starting with the deadhead out of san francisco usually on united to Uh, narita we're doing singapore airlines to singapore um a little inch on stuff in there too every now and then but
1: so international flying isn't like a senior thing it's like i feel like isn't domestic flying more like younger people doing that but international guys are doing that younger most likely yeah you're thinking definitely thinking of
2: passenger carriers you know so um you know i got a buddy at delta and he's on the 73 right now and you know, you kind of got to put in your dues so you can hold the wide body. Although I know recently with this big movement Delta's had, they've had a couple guys get the seven, six, um, but the seven, six Delta isn't doing much international anymore. I don't think, um, but you know, at FedEx, you can, I'm, you can get hired onto the triple seven very easily. Um, and triple MD 11, 7.6, you know, take your pick of continent. Each one has its own flying. Um, but no, be hired in the triple, you're going to do, you know, you're going to be flying all over the world. So, and I would say a significant portion of new hire classes go to the triple seven. So that's pretty gnarly. So what do you,
0: do you like international flying?
2: Yeah. So, you know, it's, it they kind of called me. I was in a pilot group of 200 people who got hired, but didn't have class dates. Um, I'm trying to think. I got, I interviewed in September, got hired, and then I didn't start till March. So I was at six, seven months. Um, So I was in, and I was right in the middle of that hiring pool. And they called and they said, you know, we're having a Hong Kong class. So I went from in the middle to number three of the 200. So, you know, seniority is everything. It was a, it's a two-year commitment. I'll probably stay longer. But, uh, um, yeah, so, the, you know, Hong Kong kind of forced me into the seven five seven six, But uh, I thought it would be cool. You know, why not go fly around Asia for a little bit and see some stuff. So far, are you liking it? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it does suck. <laughs> <laughs> With the hotel situation right now, you know, when we're in China, I, crap, I'll tell you the list of countries we can do stuff in It's shorter. Um, Japan and Malaysia right now, uh, uh, Malaysia, we can go out, uh, but that changes every, every other week, almost uh, Japan we're in our normal hotel. We're in Japan. So it's a nice hotel. We can't leave the hotel, but the hotel's got, you know, shops and restaurants and stuff. So it's not as bad as 90% of the other places that keep us locked in our hotel room while we're there. So, you know, I might I have three days in Thailand, but I'm spending it in the hotel. So once COVID's over, it's going to be cool. But uh, you know, right now it's not the best, but it's all the extra flying. That we have available in Asia right now is a good uh, money-making opportunity. So,
1: What's like
0: the, so what's the country that you have to, like,
1: uh, oh, oh, oh. what, what, no, oh, wait, yeah, wait, what's, what's you, like the you worst, want to go? You want me to go? yeah, yeah, you what's going? like the worst, like, <laughs> situation country wise? Like, are you stuck solely in your hotel room then, or what?
0: Uh, in a lot
1: of them, yeah, uh, China
2: is definitely the worst. Um, you know, we walk off the airport property, they literally have someone in their full, you know, suit. Spraying where we're walking, you know, we get into the vans. It's bad to in the with how many chemicals are spraying, especially in our rooms. Like, I can show you guys a couple of videos. They go in there with this like leaf blower type of things, just spraying stuff all over. Um, you know, I got a rash in my arm a couple times because they spray the beds down after they make them. I mean, they spray <laughs> down with chemicals in China. It's uh, so I'm not, you know, that I'm not a big fan of. Taiwan is not much better. Um, with the spraying of stuff. But, um, yeah, it's just, this is, this is why I'm taking October, November off. You know, I had a big, big summer of work and I'm kind of,
0: I need a break. So what's that one country that you have to put a full hazmat suit on just to do the walk around the China?
2: No, it's Vietnam. So we used to overnight in Vietnam, but we don't anymore um, because of the COVID restrictions. Same reason I'm, we're not going to Hong Kong anymore. Um, And yeah, I just believe the plane, you got to put on that full white suit and face shield and it's, uh, it's fun. At least you're going to be
0: safe, man. That's right, man. That's,
2: that's, that's that's us having to wear that. You know, I think they're worried about us coming in with COVID and spreading it. So Mm.
0: at least they're going to be safe then. Exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So with those, you do a lot of international flying. I know with those like longer flights, how do you like not burn yourself out on those flights? Cause what's like, what's all like your longest flight that you have to do for FedEx? Yeah. Well, actually I don't do that long
2: of flights. Um, and you know, these deadheads that we're doing these 10 to 16 hour deadheads is, you know, even in you know, business class going over to Asia, it's uh, I will never go to the triple seven or the MD 11. I just, that's too long to be on an airplane. Um, I don't like it. I would say my average flights anywhere from three to four hours max. Um, nice, Cause I just fly around in trade Asia. Um, you know, I don't do any U S flying, uh, we just fly around Southeast Asia for, for me, you know, and then we'll bring stuff to the hubs in Japan, China, you know, the triple ZMDs will come and pick that up and the Nago, um, Europe, Australia, back to the U S so.
1: Hmm. So do you know how they do those longer flights? Like, are there a couple, uh, pilots on board or what? I don't know how anyone does those longer flights, but, uh, <laughs>
2: Yeah, so it's seven hours, 35 minutes at FedEx. That triggers a third pilot. I don't remember what the fourth one is. I think it's 11 half, maybe 12 hours. I'm not sure because we don't ever deal with it. Um, And then, you know, usually the captain will send out an email and you guys will figure out your sleep schedule. You know, Triple has bunks, the 7-6. We do have long flights in 7-6 out of Memphis. Uh, The ETOPS Europe stuff. We're getting ETOPS Asia stuff out of uh, our Oakland base soon. Um, That'll be flown by Oakland pilots, not us. And, um, you know, we have a, call it a captain in a can, it's a can in the first position of the airplane. It's actually really nice. Um, it's got the two bunks and, and some stuff. So you go back there and sleep. Uh, but yeah, we used to have, I think it was Narita to Singapore, which was seven and a half hours, but, uh, the seven, six was too small to carry what we needed. So they put an MD 11 on it. Um, luckily, cause you know, that's a long day, seven and a half hour flight. Um, mm-hmm. so happy we're not doing that but our average flight for us call it three three and a half hours I would say for a Hong Kong based pilot
1: so when you're in Hong Kong were you solely like before COVID were you solely living in Hong Kong or are you in the states doing like commuting (laughs) yeah well I, I got hired during COVID
2: so it's been COVID the whole time in Hong Kong but no I'm I'm a Hong Kong resident um on an employment visa uh so I have my apartment in Hong Kong and um, it, you know, you, you have a lot of freedom with what you want to do. You know, I was over there for four months and then actually last October, I had all of October and November off. I had no training in November last year. And, um, I was in the U S for like two months, um, just off, you know, except for three days of training in Memphis, which, you know, does not really work. Um, so I just hopped on, a, you know, we have a really good travel part of our, our contract with being able to travel and whatnot with, uh, you know, company funds. But, uh, I just hopped on a, uh, it was a triple seven, FedEx, triple seven, uh, where we go Hong Kong to Anchorage. And then I took a Delta Delta flight to Seattle. So.
1: And you keep on talking about it's like two months off. How, how do you do that? Like, do you just work your ass off all year and then you just have these two months off or what? Yeah can getting a month off if
2: that acts shockingly easy um if you can conflict your schedule which was a little seniority you can do um if you conflict a month and by conflicting i mean have two trips that touch each other so having like your trip in september will overlap into october so you bet a trip that starts at the beginning of october so it drops the october trip you do lose out on the pay of that trip uh me with my it's a little easier with this relocation um you know, it takes the company at minimum four days to get us into position in Asia. Uh, so I had nine days reserved this month. Um, and they didn't call me the first three days. And after that, it's kind of like a guarantee you're not going to get called because they can't really do much with you in that time. Um, so that was easy. I mean, this whole week I was in grand forks. I was, I was on call the whole time, you know? So
1: uh, it's a 24 hour call out. So from when they call me, I have 24 hours to get to San Francisco. Okay. So it's not too bad going from Grand Forks, San Francisco, San Francisco in 24 hours. You know, I've actually never done it. Um, this was my first month of doing reserve.
2: Uh, and when I do have to start a trip, I usually, I'm from Seattle. So I'll hang out in Seattle just because it's a much easier commute and I can go same day down to San Francisco. Um, that way I don't have to go there, you know, a day early and get a hotel and whatnot. Um, you know, the United flight to Narita is at one o'clock in the afternoon and then the Singapore flight in put us on, it's like at 1030 at night.
1: So it's very easy to get there same day and then, you know, catch your flight over to Asia. So do you get like base pay every month or did you just work your ass off where you don't really worry too much these two months you have off for pay? Yeah. Um,
2: yeah, I had a good month in September. Yeah. Um, with all airlines, you, you bid your schedule and you get awarded, you know, you have your monthly minimum guarantee and, you know, it changes for us every month based off the lines of flying, I call it 75 hours. Actually, I think it's 83 this month in Hong Kong. Um, So you're guaranteed to make 83 hours for the month. Um, Off my pay rate with quick math, it's just shy of 15 grand on a four week bid month. Um, So it's not too bad and like i said i just have these nine days of reserve and uh, today was my last day of reserve so i got the rest of the month off and then november i'll be able to conflict with training so i'll just have i'll bid for my training to touch my trip and it'll drop my whole trip jeez so, working hard I'll <laughs> take a pay hit for that um but you know it, it it's not worth it anymore to me. It's a, the money was good for a while and just the stuff we have to deal with in Asia. And like I said, you know, you need some time off from that. So.
0: Did you find yourself getting burned out towards the end of your time over very, there?
2: Very much. So it was, uh, it's just, I don't know. It's a different kind of tired being locked up in your hotel room for, you know, 10, 12 days. And I did that monster trip in Asia in September. I did a 32 day trip. Um, which is completely voluntary the extensions and whatnot, but uh, it's just you know, 32 days. I definitely needed at least a month
1: off after that. So during those 32 days, how many of those days were you locked up in a hotel room? Do you um, know? Well, all of them
2: technically. The only time I left was to go do a flight. You know, a flight, oh my gosh, three three and a half hours. So um, it's nice going to Japan because, like I said, you can go walk around. You can go. You know, it's it's definitely a big place for us. Osaka so and Narita. So there's usually no someone there, you know, so you can go out and grab dinner and a couple of drinks and whatnot. But uh, it sucks. I'm not going to lie. It sucks. Right now it's, it's the only reason I did it was for the money. It's other than that, there's, it
1: sucks. So are you like stuck in like a holiday and kind of hotel or is it a little nicer than that? Uh, it depends on the country. So our, our international hotels
2: are amazing. Um, but countries like China, Thailand, uh, Malaysia used to, they don't anymore. Singapore does. Um, they forced us into, they're not government hotels, but they're hotels for foreign pilots, let's put it. Uh, and they are not our normal, nice hotels. So um food's not the best, especially the China one. Um the rooms be limited. You know, a lot of guys will take catering off the planes. Um, and that could last you a day. Um uh, so it's not FedEx's fault. This is kind of part of the deal of operating in that country, you know, and unfortunately I don't think it's going to be getting better anytime soon, but.
0: So you do some work with the upper ACE union at UND. So like, what is the union and how are you involved in that? I know it's for like volunteer work, but I mean, you, you got hired at FedEx. Now you don't really have to do it, but you do continue to do it, which is I respect. Um, but like, what is that? And what do you do with that?
2: Um, yeah, so it's a good program. I've continued to do it because it's very hard to find a replacement. Grand Forks, um, but it's uh, so the union as a whole. I'm probably not the best person to talk on that, but you know, basically they're looking out for the pilots. Alpa National, um, you know, they got tons of com- uh, companies in the U.S. and Canada uh, that comprise the whole union. Um, but obviously, you know, the FedEx Alpa is, is uh, um, who's running the show at FedEx. Um, so I. I work for the, well, work for the uh, education, the National Education Committee. And basically just each uh, university, I think we have 17 now, has an Alpha Ace club. And basically I just coordinate people coming to visit. So, you know, we had FedEx last month. I think we're going to get Endeavor this month at UND and Delta is coming next month. And they just come and, you know, they're supposed to talk about the union, but usually all, all the students are more curious about how to get hired there. So, career progression is definitely something that's talked about. Um, but just kind of expose people. You know, I didn't have that as a student, and you know, you might have learned about FedEx quicker if I did. Um, so, it's, it's just kind of expose the students to, you know, a wide variety of different companies and what's available to them. Obviously, all companies that are represented by Alpha.
1: So, what made you uh, choose to do Alpha at UND? Like, what made you do Union? Well, um, it actually kind of lined up.
2: So the National Education uh, Committee chair sent out an email, said, hey, we need volunteers in Grand Forks. The guy who was running the show prior, pretty sure lived in like Brainerd or somewhere like that. And he didn't want to do it anymore. So they needed, I signed up to be a volunteer. So someone from Endeavor would come and just, you know, talk once. And um, he ended up, he found out I lived in Grand Forks and asked me if I would take over just, you know, basically the coordination side of it um that was four years ago and um yeah so I did that and it was was good volunteer work you know it's easy uh I like the education side of it because it's you know there's no none of the political side of it or anything it's it's very straightforward you know you're just bringing people tools to learn about different airlines so it's, it's fun it's easy it's uh and I think this it's probably the most beneficial thing the union does for students potential you know future pilots
0: you know, I don't know why anyone in the out Al- would like wouldn't want to learn about the union all the time because it's like it's like a job security, you know? It's electric. What it an electric <laughs> thing to do.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. I think most <laughs> of overall are, are ignorant and I definitely am too about things like the RLA and you know, basically what governs our, our union and how they represent us uh, with the company. Um so the actual union inner workings are, are lost and I think the vast majority of pilot groups. Um, and that includes me. Uh, but it's, it's just one of the benefits of the union. Um, you know, this program, things like that. So it, it's, it's nice.
0: What do you think about like, uh, SkyWest and how they don't have a union? I mean, you never worked for them yeah. that influence. Like, I mean,
1: you know, me and Tango of are kind
0: of, like me and Tango are kind of in that boat where we're looking for a place to go after UND. Should that affect our decision? Um,
2: In a regional,
0: uh, maybe not. Um,
2: I think I've gotten on my SkyWest pedestal a few times with you before, but um, <laughs> we'll, we'll just talk about money. So then things change at <laughs> SkyWest often. Uh, but when there's an open time trip, whether it was Air Wisconsin, Endeavor FedEx, all alpha companies, um, you know, our contract all open time is at starts at 150% pay. Uh, so I think SkyWest starts at 110% and then goes up incrementally to there before they ever, and I doubt they ever get to 150% because there's always that one pilot. As soon as it gets to like 125, they'll pick it up. Um, so there's no contractual guarantees. For those guys that, you know, when it comes to open time trips and extra flying provisions, extra pay, things like that. Uh, I, I don't know much about SkyWest, but I do know that is one of the complaints amongst uh, some of their pilots and buddies i have had work there before. Um, but it comes down to everything, healthcare, insurances, um, career progression. You know, our flow was worked into the contract at Delta. Uh, so, yeah company has a lot more power without you they can they don't like something one day you know they can change it to next so and that includes you know overtime pay so
0: all right cool good to know yeah um do you have any any good stories uh like from flying overseas or like anything at the regionals that you can share publicly for the people yeah (laughs) i
2: saw that in your email i was trying to think about it I'd never, I've been fortunate, you know, nothing, no near misses or anything like that, but, uh, definitely had a couple FOS, you know, really scary at some point, uh, with landings or, you know, just, just what have you, um, nothing bad in Asia. You know, we, we've had some issues in Asia with, uh, some other stuff, but, um, you know, the hardest part in Asia, that's what you're going to be doing as an instructor or the accents, you know, and. Going from China to the Philippines, I, in my opinion, just understanding on the radio, and it's because the radios are so bad. Uh, you know, trying to listen to people in the Philippines is, on the radios is very tough to understand them. Uh, Jakarta in Indonesia is, is definitely tied for first place with them. Uh, I just think the, the language barrier, you know, hearing people, you're like, what do they say? So trying to figure out is probably the hardest thing um you got guys going direct the wrong fix and stuff like that you know nothing too crazy but uh just because there's the you know they didn't misunderstood who they were talking to but uh
1: yeah i mean nothing too crazy unfortunately so like as a captain did you ever get like defensive when you saw an fo just really butchering an approach like did you feel like you're like a cfi again like coming in yeah, sometimes. You know what was really cool to see is I saw a lot of
2: second career guys um, as a captain. Um, like I, One time I flew with a guy who was, I think he's 55 and he's a retired police officer. He said they always wanted to be an airline pilot. So, you know, he used part of his retirement benefits, went to flight school and, and whatnot. So that was cool. Um, so, the, you know, the generational stuff is it was cool to see, even at the regionals. Um, I wouldn't say defensive. Uh, you always have an FO who wants to be a captain. A little early. Um but no, you know, it's it's pretty self-correcting, you know, when it comes to an approach. Like guys not doing it well. Um <laughs> I think one time uh I think going into white plains this the crosswind was too strong for him and he's a new hire. So I did it. But you know, he gave it one shot and it just didn't work out. So we came around again and but uh yeah nothing no one has tried to kill me yet. I've had probably had
0: more scary stories from UND than from the regional. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's concerning. So, on that note, um, what advice would you have to like uh, UND students or UND CFI's like ourselves to kind of stick to the grind and get to where we would want to be, here, and maybe in your position someday?
2: Yeah. Um... You know, especially nowadays, everyone's going to get here eventually. I think that their careers are, are very bright. Um, you know, they do look over your transcript and in interviews. So I had to explain a couple French classes uh, I didn't do well in. Um, you know, grades are important. Check grades are important. You know, just make sure you're prepared for everything. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people disagree with me on what I'm about to say, but uh, be picky. If you don't want to go somewhere, you know, keep in mind, if you get hired somewhere at 28, you're going to spend the next, you know, 37 years there. So go where you want, or at least attempt to go where you want. And if it doesn't work out for a while, then you know, try other places. But I wouldn't say definitely don't be afraid to hang out at a regional for an extra year to get to that major job. And a lot of people would disagree with that, but uh, it's what I did and it worked out for me. So I, w- I wouldn't change anything on how I got here.
1: Good advice. Well, uh, I think our time's up here. Thanks for coming on, Jake. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I do appreciate it, Jake. Thanks for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you have any questions for us, DM us on Instagram at vertical underscore guidance. Thanks, guys. Thanks.